0: If slavery was the peculiar institution, modern-day policing is its ignoble offspring. These were the words of Rua Benjamin in her book, Viral Justice, How We Grow the World We Want. The peculiar institution was a phrase that referenced the words of former United States Vice President John C. Calhoun's racist rhetoric about slavery. The quote itself, however, serves as a prescient reminder that the norms and institutions of slavery are hardly over, and instead persist in modern yet cruel institutions. I am Paxton Phillips, and this is Politics with Paxton. In 13th, a documentary film directed by Ava DuVernay, the systemic racism embedded within the American criminal justice system is explored. The premise of the film revolves around the fact that the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, features a loophole that allows for enslaved labor to be utilized in the United States as a form of punishment for incarcerated individuals. Mass incarceration in the United States is a way to reestablish the social norms of slavery without explicitly actually reinstating the heinous institution of slavery. However, While 13th largely explores the ways in which mass incarceration and the injustices prevalent within the American criminal justice system undermine the initial purpose of the 13th Amendment, there is another Reconstruction Amendment that mass incarceration has played a disturbing role in undermining, that being the 15th Amendment. While the goal of the 15th Amendment may have been to ensure that the right to vote in the United States would not be abridged by race. As a result of the punitive policies of the American criminal justice system, this goal has been severely undermined. With the exceptions of Maine and Vermont, most of the United States restricts or even blatantly denies entirely the right to vote to all prisoners, as is recounted by Jamel Bowie in the New York Times article titled, Tell Me Again Why Prisoners Can't Vote? Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders disagrees with preventing prisoners from voting, saying that Quote, in my state, what we do is separate. You're paying a price. You committed a crime. You're in jail. That's bad. But you're still living in American society, and you have a right to vote. End quote. The point that Sanders makes is an apt one, since prisoners are already being punished by simply spending time incarcerated. Stripping prisoners of their fundamental right to vote is simply denying them their basic rights as American citizens for no legitimate reason since, as Bowie mentions, committing a crime does not automatically make a person incapable of making rational political decisions. Bowie illustrates that the disenfranchisement of prisoners from the political process of voting is actually enabled by the 14th Amendment another reconstruction amendment that permits the government to restrict the right to vote if a citizen were to commit a crime. Bowie asserts, however, that this is unjust since subjecting incarcerated Americans to a form of social death conflicts with the notion that there are inalienable rights within the United States that cannot be curtailed. Voting of course is one such inalienable right. Furthermore, this provision of the 14th amendment actually subverts the initial intentions that brought about the passage of the 15th amendment. 13th, the documentary, unveils evidence that highlights how mass incarceration overwhelmingly hurts black Americans more than white Americans. One in 17 white men, 13th demonstrates, are likely to go to prison in their lives, while one in three black men are likely to go to prison in their lives. This racial disparity? is disturbingly by design, as 13th tellingly depicts in its references to United States President Richard Nixon's advisor John Ehrlichman, who is quoted as saying that the Nixon administration perceived black people as its enemies and heavily criminalized heroin in order to disrupt black communities and send many black people to prison. Thirteenth even highlights the racial disparities that emerged within the War on Drugs, with formerly incarcerated author James Kilgore articulating in the documentary that American citizens caught with one ounce of crack, a drug primarily found within communities of color, would go to prison for the same amount of time as those caught with 100 ounces of powder cocaine, a drug centralized within white communities. Even former Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives Newt Gingrich, a proponent of United States President Donald Trump, despite the blatantly racist statements he made about Africa that compelled his own Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, to embark on an apology tour throughout Africa, acknowledged that, quote, we absolutely should have treated crack and cocaine as exactly the same thing. I think it was an enormous burden on the black community, but it also fundamentally violated a sense of core fairness, end quote. Political activist Angela Davis appropriately declares in 13th how, quote, in many ways, the so-called war on drugs was a war on communities of color, end quote. The fact that it was Nixon's presidential administration that ultimately declared the war on drugs in the first place, and that one of the stated purposes of the war on drugs, according to Ehrlichman, was to send black people to prison, demonstrates the racist undertones of mass incarceration. This heinous goal of sending black people to prison at exponentially higher rates than white people functioned to strip black Americans of the civil rights that they had been assured during Reconstruction, such as voting. The fact that the vast majority of black Americans sent to prison would not be able to vote serves as troubling evidence of the ways in which powerful and influential white Americans attempted to force black Americans back into the position of second-class citizen that their community was forced to endure in the era of slavery. Bowie even highlights how not only do American prisoners lack the universal right to vote, but there is also statistical evidence that this disenfranchisement ripples outward and depresses political participation among friends and families of incarcerated Americans who are often black. The entire system of mass incarceration serves the aim of preventing as many black Americans from voting as possible. Unfortunately, however, the criminal justice system's efforts to disenfranchise black Americans from voting do not end once incarcerated Americans serve their sentences. Even once they have repaid their debt to society and are released from prison, incarcerated Americans are still often denied the right to vote. Attorney Brian Stevenson, in the 13th documentary, points out the startling statistic that nearly 30% of the black male population has permanently lost the right to vote as a result of a past criminal conviction. In 13th, formerly incarcerated activist Craig DeRoach describes the unsettling reality that, quote, if you do something wrong, you should pay it back and then move forward with your life. But yet, in America... There's absolutely zero closure. We actually tell American citizens when they pay back their debt to society, their citizenship will still be denied from them." Not only does this fact represent a disheartening representation of how black Americans who are overrepresented within prisons are systematically being silenced as a voting electorate, but it also serves as a startling admission that the American criminal justice system does not even seem to believe in the very principles of rehabilitation that it is supposed to abide by. The entire purpose of prisons should be to rehabilitate individuals so that they can prepare to reintegrate themselves back into society productively. By forever stripping so many formerly incarcerated Americans of their right to vote, the American criminal justice system is essentially all but admitting that it does not believe that people who commit a crime can ever truly be rehabilitated. This is such a closed-minded and despicable mindset that also seems to be heavily influenced by established racist sentiments. According to Jennifer Ray Taylor's article in the Marshall Project titled, Jim Crow's Lasting Legacy at the Ballot Box, the delegates drafting Alabama's 1901 state constitution were adamant in codifying white supremacy and banned individuals that had been convicted of a crime relating to moral turpitude with the express purpose of preventing as many black Americans from voting as possible. These racist delegates understood the despicable features of the criminal justice system that disproportionately targeted black Americans and sought to weaponize it in order to disenfranchise them from voting. What is especially unnerving is the fact that, as Taylor states, Alabama's 1901 constitution remains in force to this very day. Unfortunately, laws implemented to disenfranchise American citizens from voting, such as those in Alabama, are the norm, not the exception. They have become so pervasive throughout the United States that, according to Christopher Eugen, Ryan Larson, Sarah Shannon, and Robert Stewart's article in the sentencing project titled Locked Out 2022, Estimates of People Denied Voting Rights, it has been approximated that... 4.6 million Americans have been disenfranchised as a result of a felony conviction. This same article details how not only are 1.1 Floridian citizens currently prevented from voting due to a felony conviction, but it is estimated that 934,500 of them have already completed their sentences and yet still remain disenfranchised from voting, as well as the fact that among the adult black population, 5.3% of them are disenfranchised, a shocking disparity from the only one5 of non-black Americans that are disenfranchised from voting. By weaponizing the criminal justice system against black communities and subsequently utilizing criminal penalties to strip convicted felons of their right to vote, influential racist lawmakers can reestablish the social norms of slavery and Jim Crow in subtle but dangerous ways. Not only in a state like Mississippi will incarcerated Americans be forced to work without pay, as illustrated in Michael Sayanato's article in The Guardian titled, Slavery by any name is wrong, the push to end forced labor in prisons, but they will also be permanently disenfranchised from voting. Being dehumanized, forced to engage in labor for their captors, and lacking any capacity to vote are all the hallmarks of slavery, but they could also represent the current status of the United States system of mass incarceration silencing the political voices of incarcerated Americans has even been referred to as the next evolution of Jim Crow. With, as recently as 2022, Amy Fettig, the executive director of the Sentencing Project, even expressing her belief, as recounted by Ashley Lopez in the NPR article titled, In the U.S., Some 4.6 Million People Are Disenfranchised Due to a Felony Conviction, That millions of Americans were rendered voiceless by felony disenfranchisement in the 2022 midterm elections, which, quote, is just the latest in a long line of attempts to restrict ballot access, just like poll taxes, literacy tests, and property requirements were used in the past, end quote. If the United States is ever going to truly become an equitable society that values the political voices of all of its citizens, it will be imperative for it to once and for all end felony disenfranchisement. Although the goal of the 15th Amendment was to ensure that the right to vote in the United States would not be abridged by race, as a result of the punitive policies of the American criminal justice system and its efforts to punish felons both while they are incarcerated and after they are released from prison, this goal has been insidiously undermined. There have been some organizations that have attempted to productively examine and expose the continuity between slavery and mass incarceration. Solitary Gardens is one such organization that, according to Benjamin, focuses on deepening the connections between people in prison and those on the outside. Solitary Gardens provides those on the outside with an opportunity to plant gardens that are the size of jail cells with the input of incarcerated individuals. The gardens are made from the ground-up remains of cotton, tobacco, sugarcane, and indigo. So, by utilizing the main crops of chattel slavery, Solitary Gardens effectively is able to expose the illusion that the underlying institutions and statutes of slavery were ever truly abolished in the United States. The restrictions on incarcerated and formerly incarcerated Americans' right to vote severely impede the dissolution of chattel slavery norms. The fact that so many incarcerated Americans still do not possess the right to vote even after they have paid their debt to society and left prison is emblematic of the overly punitive nature of the American criminal justice system. A prison sentence seems to follow all Americans that served one wherever they go, including, unfortunately enough, to the ballot box. Benjamin describes her personal experience with this system by recounting how, quote, The day my brother's criminal record was eventually expunged felt bittersweet. It came after years of harassment, profiling, Jail, imprisonment, shame, trauma, and so much more that typing these words reignites a burning rage. Is it possible to wipe off a brand? How else can I describe the mark of a criminal record as the sociologist Diva Pager calls it, but as a modern-day brand? Rub, rub, rub as much as you can, the scar left behind refuses to disappear. Each time, The carceral system, brands a loved one, an entire family is marked. We feel the iron of a vicious system whose appetite seems limitless. When the beast decided it had had enough, it spit my brother back out, record expunged, but not before forcing him to sit for years in its repulsive belly, corroding his spirit and consuming his mind. The stench of that beast snakes around us, tightening and releasing, squeezing and pulsing in what clinicians term post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and depression." Quote. The question of, is it possible to wipe off a brand, remains with us to this very day. If there is any effort that could potentially successfully wipe off the brand of mass incarceration, it is by not providing, but rather restoring incarcerated Americans with their constitutional right to vote, thereby rectifying a historic wrong in the American criminal justice system. In the Fox News YouTube video titled, Gutfield on... Bernie Sanders letting felons vote from prison. Even conservative Fox News host Greg Gutfeld said that he agreed with allowing formerly incarcerated Americans to vote. The fact that the brand of incarceration still persists as a reality for so many Americans is a very troubling one. And the widespread support to restore the right to vote for formerly incarcerated Americans ought to be manifested into effective policy immediately. However, it is not enough to just provide formerly incarcerated Americans with their fundamental constitutional right to vote. This right must also be extended to currently incarcerated Americans. Felony disenfranchisement is one of the most prevalent forms of voter suppression in the United States and can play a considerable role in deciding the outcomes of elections. As the Now This News YouTube video titled, Why Bernie Sanders Wants to Give Voting Rights to Incarcerated Americans, Now This highlights, 6.1 million people could not vote in 2016 as a result of felony disenfranchisement, and the 2016 presidential election was determined by less than 800,000 votes to eliminate this insidious level voter suppression, it is imperative to immediately restore the right to vote to all incarcerated Americans. Sanders faced significant pushback for his belief that currently incarcerated Americans should have the right to vote. However, he was simply expressing a belief system based around Americans' constitutional right to vote that has been inherent in this democracy since its inception. Sanders defended his stance on providing incarcerated Americans with the right to vote by explaining, as documented in the Now This News video, that, quote, What our campaign is about, and what I believe, is creating a vibrant democracy. Today, as you may know, we have one of the lowest voter turnouts of any major country on earth. I want to see us have one of the highest voter turnouts. We live in a moment where our cowardly Republican governors are trying to suppress the vote. As it happens in my own state of Vermont, from the very first days of our state's history, what our Constitution says is that everybody can vote. That is true. So people in jail can vote. Now here is my view. If somebody commits a serious crime, sexual assault, murder, they're going to be punished. They may be in jail for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, their whole lives. That's what happens when you commit a serious crime. But I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. Because once you start chipping away and you say, well, that guy committed a terrible crime, not going to let him vote, or that person did that, not going to let that person vote, you're running down a slippery slope. So I believe that people who commit crimes, they pay the price. When they get out of jail, I believe they certainly should have the right to vote. But I do believe that even if they are in jail, they're paying their price to society, but that should not take away their inherent American right to participate in our democracy. End quote. The argument that Sanders makes is a compelling one. Going to prison is the punishment for committing a crime. Losing such inalienable citizenship rights as the right to vote is overly punitive. As Corey Brett Schneider explains in the Politico article titled Why Prisoners Deserve the Right to Vote, quote, The Supreme Court decided that prisoners cannot have their citizenship stripped as a punishment for a crime. As Justice Earl Warren wrote in the 1958 case, Trop v. Dulles, Citizenship is not a right that expires upon misbehavior. Although he did not acknowledge this, Warren's insight shows us why ex-felons deserve the right to vote. If prisoners remain citizens and retain their civic status throughout their sentences, then it follows that prisoners should enjoy the most basic of their civil rights, the right to cast a ballot. Disenfranchising them creates a class of people still subject to the laws of the United States They were, after all, punished under that law, but without a voice in the way they're governed. Not unlike taxation without representation. This also creates a kind of caste system, one that's eerily similar to a dark chapter of our past. The vast majority of states, prisoners cannot vote. Yet they're often counted in the population for the legislative district of their prison the main factor that determines a state's number of representatives and its presidential electoral votes. It's a practice the NAACP calls prison-based gerrymandering. If that sounds familiar, it should. Such a policy resembles the Constitution's notorious three-fifths clause, which denied slaves the right to vote, but counted them in the census for the purposes of amassing more pro-slavery representatives. Even when an American citizen is incarcerated, that person is still a citizen of the United States. To deprive them of their fundamental citizenship rights harkens back to the abhorrent social norms of slavery. If the United States ever truly has any hope and aspirations of breaking free of the social norms of slavery... It is imperative to restore the right to vote to all prisoners. And if the United States ever has any true hope and aspirations of breaking free of the social norms of slavery, it must commit itself to the mission of wiping off the brand of incarceration. I believe it is possible to wipe off a brand. However, for that to happen, all formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated Americans must have their voting rights restored. Thank you for listening to Politics with Paxton. Please follow me on Twitter at PoliticsWPaxton, where you will find all the latest news, updates, and episodes of Politics with Paxton.